like to welcome you to the parasha Hukat or Hukat the Hookup. Holla if you hear me. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, but yeah, seriously, parasha hooked up though. Uh, that's what I'm going to call this one. Because this is the please source it for parasha Hukat. And we got the, uh, the para aduma, the red heifer, and we have the serpent on a pole. Among many other things going on in this tour portion. So want to go over here to uh, a beautiful um, drop that I was reading from basically uh, Lakute Torah. Let me go over here and find it real quick because it just kind of uh, caught me off guard. It says that the para aduma, the red heifer, is basically the Torah. So... Let's see here. Bring this down. With the help of Hashem. It says the para aduma, the general mitzvah of the entire Torah. Why is this mitzvah given such importance? The reason for this is because the mitzvah of para aduma contains the two forms of divine service, ratzo and shov run and return which is the general aspects and purpose of all the mitzvot ratzo the running is the passionate love experience for god shuv is the desire to draw godliness below the returning aspect so you're gonna go out there you're gonna give it all you got and then you're gonna bring down hashem into this this reality basically you're going to reveal Hashem basically this world conceals Hashem and it is our job to reveal him and that's what happens when we engage in the Torah the mitzvot so we study we learn right and then we go out and we do and it says that um, again this is Lakute Torah bringing this down on Parsha Hukat it says that in general, each mitzvah contains these aspects in a concealed form. Each mitzvah is ratzo and shuv. That's pretty impressive. So each mitzvah is basically the para aduma, if you really kind of look at that. Goes on to say that the ratzo is represented in the burning of the cow into ash for the red heifer. And it says, while the shuv is represented in the placing of water into the bucket. The mitzvah of para aduma serves as the source of the ratzo and shov found in all the other mitzvot. One little part here I skipped that it says, um, the mitzvah of para aduma contains ratzo and shov in a revealed manner. So, 
when we're in the mitzvot, then it says that that's the concealed form of what the mitzvah para adumah reveals. And we know that Mashiach is our red heifer because he purified us from death, which is what that's supposed to do. But notice that there's a three-day waiting and then there's a seventh day. So there's two things that have to happen. There's two stages of this purification. So isn't it interesting that we have two Mashiachs, you know, and the first one has come to do the initial cleansing of us, namely all the spiritual reconstruction that we have to undergo to get back ready to go into the garden. And then Mashiach ben David, like the seventh day, getting us back in the garden, like we go in there now. So, you know, this is just kind of uh, one of the, the neat things when we just kind of look at the Para Adumah. So I want to go ahead and start off with Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi says that this is the hook of the Torah. So hook comes from the word chacha, uh, which means engrave. So the engraving of the Torah is the para aduma. It is the essence of the mitzvot. The essence of the mitzvot is Hashem written on our heart. In other words, when it says the law will be in our heart, that's the renewal of the covenant. Well, the essence of that is found in the para aduma. Goes on to say, on one level, it means that this, the law of the red heifer, is the ultimate decree, the most supra rational, beyond any kind of way to explain it. I don't get it, in other words. The value of a pasuk brings down that this is basically, I'm just going to read it. When, when you don't get something, this is how the, uh, the value of a pasuk brings it down. This is actually on Parsha Korak that this happens. Let's see. You remember Moshe fell on his face, right? It says that Rabbi Sh Samson Raphael, let's call him Shimshon, but yeah, Rab Rabbi Sh Samson Raphael Hirsch explains that Moshe was powerless for no answer of Moshe nor any reasoning could prove that he was the messenger of God. So, like, there's no proof. There's no way to prove. You know, so there's that. And then it goes on to say that, and Moshe heard it fell on his face. That's Bami Bar numbers. And that is 16.4. And it says, Moshe heard and fell on his face. The gematria of that is 1143. The other verse that has 1143, there's only one verse that equals that gematria in the entire Tehillim, is Tehillim Psalms 119, verse 135. Let your face shine on your servant and teach me your statutes. So it's going on to say the Sefer HaChinuk says that the classic statutes, the Huk, of the red heifer is the most difficult law to comprehend. Its reason is beyond the understanding even of King Shlomo. So it is very appropriate that the Pasuk, the verse from Parsha Korach and the Pasuk from Sefer Tehillim have the same gematria, for both refer to a person in a powerless state who needs the help of Hashem. 
so, you know, we only can just take just a small step and just think about how powerless are we with sin? You know, what does uh, Shaul say? Who will set me free from this body of death? Right? Who will set me free? We're powerless. Which, if you really run that up the ladder, lots of people are saying that the Messiah that we're going to have is not divine. He's going to be a human being just like you or I. The only problem with that is lots of Jewish sources, especially with this one from just the letter of Paul, goes on to say in Romans 7.25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through the Torah. We know Yeshua HaMashiach is the Torah made flesh. So through him, through the Torah being made flesh, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's Torah, but in my sinful nature I am a slave to the law of sin. And verse 24, if you go backwards, I like reading backwards for some reason. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? We are powerless. And Mashiach is the one who gives us the deliverance from that. And Mashiach cannot give us deliverance if he is not from Hashem. If he's not one with Hashem, if he's separate from Hashem, there is no power there. Moshe might as well stay on his face. Shlomo might as well continue on trying to explain the red heifer, which is obviously futile. So, same thing for us, that with our struggle against sin, lawlessness, breaking Torah, uh, following after our own desires, had it not been for the Torah, we are just stuck. So, I thought that was incredible, just thinking about the hook. The only way to get out of our prison is through the pierced place. The place where Moshe stood to receive the renewal of the covenant, which was in the rock that traveled with us in the wilderness. So why do we have to be in Messiah and so many different pun intended? Well, that's because the only way out of our prison is through a pierce place, which reminds me of what the mighty Haver Shlita brings down that Menashe, King Menashe, his prayers were so closed off for Hashem, there was a little bitty tunnel that was dug for him underneath the throne of Hashem. There was a little pierced place in the throne. And in his own cell, he had a little bit of place where light was coming in, just a little pierced spot. Same thing for us. So through the piercing of the mitzvot, through the piercing of the red heifer, being the Mashiach that was offered for us, that's that's our deliverance. I want to bring down from Baal Haturim because he has a beautiful drop on this about the uh, Para Aduma. It says, he shall gather. Because in verse 9 of our parasha, starting at the beginning in chapter 19, it says, a pure man shall gather the ash of the cow and place it outside the camp in a pure place. Bahatorian comments on that. He says, a pure man shall gather. Well, the word is ve asaf, which is he shall gather, which obviously is the root of Yosef. 
So here's our Mashiach ben Yosef who gathers in the exiles, right? Says he will gather. And by the way, when this person does this part of the ritual, he becomes impure. So why is Mashiach outside the gate? You know, why is he outside the camp? Why are we not back home yet? Well, we're impure right now. Literally, the sages liken our exile to being like a wife who is in Nida, which is so hopeful for us because the woman is only in Nida for a short amount of time, you know, and we have to count our impure days leading up to the day that we're able to be purified and we can immerse in a mikvah and we can go back and be with our husband, right? Which our husband is Hashem. So the beautiful thing about all this is that Mashiach is uh, the one who purifies us even in the midst of this exile. But when we get out of exile, before we go back to the temple, we all have to be immersed in the waters of the heifer. Or we're going to have to be sprinkled with the waters. So we're going to have a purification period from death, basically, is what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, though. That's, that's what I'm saying. But anyway says the Mesoretic note means that this word appears three times in the Tanakh. A pure man shall gather, and the Metzora shall gather from 2 Kings 5.11, and he will gather the castaways of Israel. Yeshayahu, Isaiah 11.12. The similarity of expression here and in Kings alludes to the Talmudic statement. A Metzora is likened to a corpse. Wow, that escalated quickly. Netarim 64b. Four people are considered as dead. A poor person, a medzora, a blind person, and one who is childless. Totafot brings down that the point of this teaching is to underscore to others that the depth of suffering to which these four are subject so that people will pray for them. Wow. Hence why Yeshua was ready to heal blind people and medzorim. And, uh, you know, when people who were childless, remember the one woman who had the son who died and she was following, you know, his his burial, his uh, funeral be air. And uh, Yeshua walked by, touched the coffin and he, and he woke up and he restored the son back to the mother. You know, or when Yeshua took the parents and went up into the upper room with the little girl and called out little girl, wake up. You know, and then, I, all right, she's awake. All right, everybody give her some food, please. You know, kind of thing. He was always trying to, he was praying for everybody. That is prayer. So, uh, continuing on, it says that, Moreover, just as the ashes of the red cow impart purity, so too the prayers of the righteous impart purity. Going down on the footnote, it says, as seen from Moshe's prayer in Bami Bar 12, 13, praying for his sister Miriam when she contracted Zarat. Going on, it says, and the similarity of expression in the three verses alludes to the time of Mashiach, and he will gather the castaways of Israel in the future, at which time the Metzora, did you know Mashiach is called the leper Messiah, by the way? Um, let's go over here and bring this down. Now you got to sort stuff out around here, right? All right, so Messiah. Boom, 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 boom. 
known as the Leper Messiah. It is Sanhedrin 98B. Let's go ahead and go there. Pulled up some uh, Targum on me. And I was like, alright. So Sanhedrin 98B, go get it. I'm like, alright, fine. I'll go get it. Sanhedrin 98B coming at you okay. Man, there's a lot of Daphim over here. Sanhedrin 98B. Boom, there it is. Load it up. Locked and and <laughs> come on, prep day. Speed it up here, please. <laughs> but anyway, Sanhedrin 98B is uh Leper Mashiach talk. So literally the Medzora is going to gather the castaways. So the Medzora also Gathering is likened to uh, being cured. It says, i.e., the Medzora will be cured. As it is written, then the lame man will skip like a gazelle. Yeshiyahu 35, 6. says, at that time, <clears throat> they will no longer need the ashes of the red cow. As it is written, he will have swallowed up death forever. Yeshiyahu 25, 8. Break that down says the ashes of the red cow serve only one purpose to cleanse the impurity brought about through contacts with a corpse but in the days of Mashiach God will God will swallow up i.e. destroy the concept of death and its accompanying impurity now we know that uh, Shaul talked about that but let's just go ahead and um Get this leper drop on Mashiach from Sanhedrin 98B. It's finally loaded up. So, Brukashim. Enjoy the years of Mashiach. Hezekiah drop. Names of Mashiach. Okay. Um. There it is. Brukashem says, and the rabbis say Metzora of the house of Rebbe is his name. A couple of things on that. It says a Metzora is one afflicted with the disease of Za'arat, which is described in Vayikra chapter 13. Mashiach will be a Metzora and a descendant of Rebbe. The verse that follows is cited to prove the first point that is brought down by Yad Ramah. Alternatively, Deve Rabbi means of the school of Rebbe. The Gemara in Bava Metzia 85a relates that Rebbe endured agonizing disease for many years. Like the Rebbe, the Mashiach will also undergo terrible suffering. Wow. According to Maharal, the Gemara does not mean that the Mashiach will actually be afflicted with Zarat, which is beautiful because Mashiach healed Zarat. It says he is allegorically described in this way because Zarat 
which involves the decay of the physical body, is an apt metaphor for a person whose spiritual aspect is so sublime that he seems to be the antithesis of the physical. Yeah, let's let's read that again. Because Zarat, which which involves the decay of the physical body, is an apt metaphor for a person whose spiritual aspect is so sublime that he seems to be the antithesis of the physical. This is another reason why it's hard to understand Mashiach being divine, like the Torah made flesh. Like, what do you mean? That is so sublime that that, that how can you make that even a physical thing to even transpire? Note 42 wants to bring down here about the suffering of the Mashiach. It says the prophet Daniel in Daniel 10, 11 is called Daniel the Greatly Beloved. This translation is based on the Radak and Medzudo cross-reference Rashi. Ra Rashi offers two explanations of Rob's statement. If the Messiah is currently alive, he is certainly Rebbe. Which is, that's awesome, <laughs> right? Like, yes, Mashiach is Rebbe. We call him Rebbe Melech Mashiach, but, you know. It says, if the Mashiach is someone who has already died, he is Daniel. Nice, because Daniel's called Son of Man, right? Anyway, um, and Daniel, the judgment of Hashem, there's that to take into account. Our Barbanel explains that it is, it is possible for the Mashiach to be among the resurrected. So Mashiach is going to resurrect. There we go, Sanhedrin 98b, just pointing that out. By the way, Parsha Hukat is all about death and resurrection. Like, the person who has to get sprinkled with the ashes, and even if you want to go straight all the way over to the serpent on a pole, Mashiach says it might have to be lifted up, like the serpent on a pole, in Yochanan chapter 3. So, you see this idea that purification from death, things that could kill you, swallow you up, and, and Hashem is like, nope, we're going to put, put the brakes on that. And we're gonna we're gonna bring about renewal, healing, and it's through Hashem. You know, if you really think about Hashem's four-letter name, his name means eternity, basically, past, present, and future. So, the source of our eternal life is only found in Hashem, which is why it's important to know that Yeshua is in Hashem. That's why it says salvation belongs to Hashem. Salvation is Hashem's. Like it, that's Hashem's. But anyway, <clears throat> Mashiach also testified today. He said, I am in my father and he is in me. It says, according to this approach, the word kegon does not carry its usual meaning of like goes on to say, if the person who most closely resembles the Mashiach is alive, it is Rebbe. If that person is dead, it is Daniel. Rebbe and Daniel exemplified the Mashiach insofar as they endured suffering. Rebbe suffered agonizing disease. Daniel was cast in a den of lions. Side note, if you uh, watch the Tikkun Leil Shabuot from Sar Shalom 5780, You'll understand one of the merits Daniel had for being delivered from the lion's den was separating meat and dairy. Yep, see that video for that. That was ridiculous. Okay, somehow we got into talking about Daniel in the lion's den where we are talking about Kashrut. But anyway, Maharsha points out that Rebbe and Daniel enjoyed positions of authority 
which is one of the Mashiach's qualifications. Mashiach is a position of authority. Get you some. It says, Rebbe was the leader, the Nasi, of the community of Eretz Israel. Daniel was an advisor to the kings of Babylonia and Persia. You remember the Esther account? A person in there by the name of Hatak? That was Daniel, by the way. So, two kingdoms of exile. Daniel is in a position of authority. It says, it should be noted that Rambam writes, Before the Mashiach arises, you will not be able to say that he is the son of so-and-so and from such-and-such -such family. Rather, a man will rise who was not known before he revealed himself. That's from the Egeret Teman chapter 4. This man himself will not know that he is to be the Mashiach until God calls upon him. Kasim Sofa, Response of Volume 6, Section 98. What's awesome about that is, this is why people said, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, like, isn't this Ben Yosef? And when Mashiach was immersed in a mikvah, that Hashem announced, this is my son whom I well pleased. This is why... Um, Mashiach would say, you know, it's not my time when he went to the wedding at Cana. You know, it was like, it ain't time for us to have a wedding celebration. What are you talking about, Ema? Like, no. And he he was healing people, and he's like, well, don't go around telling everybody. It's not time yet. But then, after his immersion, what did he start doing? He'd go straight to the wilderness, which is where we got the Torah. So remember, we immersed and we went into the wilderness, like originally, when we left Egypt. Went through the Yom Suf, then we went to the desert, to Sinai, and then we came with the Torah. Well, we were supposed to, but we kind of got tripped up on a calf and some spies and whatnot. And we had a little dropout with Parsha Korach. But, you know, we picked it back up. Second generation, led by Yehoshua, let's do it. So then we came back. So the same thing with Mashiach, he tacooned the wilderness. What we took 40 years to do, he did in 40 days. Then he comes back, and what does he start saying? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now, that's the revelation. So when Mashiach is revealed, it's all about returning to Torah. So many times, people want to say, Mashiach is revealed, get away from Torah. And it's kind of like, you are completely demolishing the pattern. That's like Hashem just being like, you know what? There is no such thing as Shabbat. Just keep whatever you want to keep or leave whatever you want to leave. Like, don't worry about taking a day off and blessing me. Don't worry about uh, eating kosher. Don't worry about dressing as a newt. Don't worry about honoring your mother and your father. You know, don't even worry about the creation account. Just make up something. Talk about, like, science or whatever you want to do. That's what that's tantamount to. So if you're saying Mashiach is revealed, get away from the Torah you might as well start going down the list on these other things that I just mentioned. And you cannot get upset with people for being homosexual and for the church marrying homosexuals. You can't get upset about that because you already got rid of God. You got rid of the authority. And you proved that the Mashiach is false. Chasbe Shalom. But anyway, another footnote in Sanhedrin 98b says... Yermiyahu, which is Jeremiah 30, verse 21, 
This verse teaches the Mashiach will be a powerful ruler who is a member of the Jewish royal family, i.e. the family of David. This is why it's important to note Mashiach sat in the temple. Who sat in the temple? Only people from the lineage of David. Rav Nachman possessed both these qualities. His father-in-law, the Exilarch, was a, a Sion of Davidic dynasty. The Exilarchs, or Exilarchs, uh, perpetuated the Davidic dynasty in Babylonia. So, I mean, that's a whole lot. Okay, continuing. I'm just trying to debate if I'm going to finish this whole thing or not. But I'm just going to go ahead and read, because it looks like there's going to be something in here. There's always something in there. But anyway, it is reasonable to assume that, therefore, that Rav Nachman himself was descended from David, Furthermore, as son-in-law of the Exilarch, Rav Nachman was in a position of authority. Rav Nachman states that the Mashiach will be someone like him insofar as he meets the qualifications outlined in this verse. That's from the Maharsha and Be'er Sheva. And then it goes on to say, according to Maharal, Rav Nachman is teaching that although the Mashiach will be a greatly exalted figure, he will not be divorced from contact with his subjects. Oh, come on, man. Is this why Mashiach continued to remain in contact with repentance, penitent people? Because he, he he's so great, but he's not divorced from his subjects. Also, he says, even what you do to the least of them, you've done to me. Also going on in this, this last statement, it says, rather, he would be like Rav Nachman himself, who was directly involved in communal matters. You know, like feeding the hungry, healing the sick, you know, little things like that. Uh, Mashiach says, to the least of them, right? That is... From verse uh, Matthew 25, 40. Then we're going to go all the way back with a throwback to the uh, to the red heifer. The Isaiah 28 passage, right? Well, remember I told you that's also uh, Shaul wrote about that. It is... Uh, in Corinthians. Yep. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. We're going to go ahead and read 54 through 56, though. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Yep, immortal life coming ahead for those of us who want it. Then the saying that is written will come to pass. What saying? The prophecy from Yeshiyahu. Death has been swallowed up in victory, which comes from Parsha Hukat. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law of sin and death. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked because... When you look at the law of sin and death, that is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the power of sin 
comes from eating the fruits from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, by the way, is the disobedience to the Torah. This is that law that Shaul was talking about in Romans 7. It says, but sin, seizing its opportunity through the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So apart from that law, sin is dead. So remember, the Torah, its commands, its laws, it brings life, right? We just read about the, the, mitzvah, the mitzvah being the run and the return, the revealing of godliness and, and creation. So therefore, the covetous desire, what kingdom of law is that under? It's called the kingdom of darkness. It's called the kingdom of not Hashem. It's also important to note that Shaul in Romans 7 says that there are two laws. Okay, so if we go down, let's see, verse 21. So this is the principle I have discovered. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Key verse, verse 23. So 723. Say it with me. Romans 7:23. But I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law of my mind. Because remember, he said, My mind, I want to serve a shem. So he has a war. A law that's warring against his mind and holding him captive to the law of sin that dwells in him. So this other law is working with the law of sin. So we got like a law within a law. Just like in the Torah, there's Torah within Torah. You know, when you look at the, the, the mitzvot, the statutes, the decrees, the judgments, they all kind of work together. And uh, there's one aspect of Torah there's one aspect of the commandments, you know, and things like that. So we actually say Torah and mitzvot. So same thing with the, the kingdom of darkness. It has the, the law of like, no, we will be disobedient. And then part of that is sin and its desires. So it's just kind of like there's a, 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 a wicked web, if you will, for lack of a better term. So again, that's where he goes into verse 24, says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. We need somebody who is free from this whole prison. So Torah is a divine decree, cannot be fully comprehended, just like Mashiach being in the likeness of man. Going down a little bit, it says, this is the law, this is the Torah. When a man dies in his tent, Talmud, Bear Code 63b says, Reish Lakish said, From where do we learn that the words of Torah endure only and he who kills himself for it? Because it says, This is the Torah when a man dies in his tent. Yochanan 12, 25 26. He who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it forever. If any man serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there also will my servant be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Talk about Ruth, right? 
I will go with you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go. Your people be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. You know, kind of thing. That's the way we got to follow Mashiach, which is the whole beautiful thing about why is the story of Ruth uh, so quintessential to the giving of the law, the Torah, that is. And by the way, I mean, calling the Torah law, I mean, that's just kind of, that's belittling it. So, you know, we, we can't belittle the Torah. So that's another thing that we need to figure out. So the people spoke against God and against Moshe. Chapter 21, verse 5. It is written, and they believed in God and in Moshe his servant, Shemot 14:31. If they believed in Moshe, they certainly believed in God. I'd like to insert right. <laughs> Back to the commentary. But this comes to teach us that certainly, or that whoever believes in the shepherd of Israel, which is Roe. Okay, so whoever believes in the Roe of Israel, by the way, Yosef is known as a shepherd of Israel, brought down by the uh, the Kehert Tehillim. It says, it is as though he believes in God. So if you believe in the shepherd of Israel, you believe in Hashem. This is why Yeshua was saying that, well, if you if you embrace the Father, then you embrace me. And, and if you don't embrace me, you're not really embracing the Father. He who has me has the Father kind of thing. So let's go ahead and uh, source that one out. PSI moment. That is, where is that? 15.9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Uh, the Father loves the Son and placed all things in Him. Yochanan 3, verse 35. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Let's see. That's not the one I was looking for. Is this it? 1244? Whoever believes in me and does not believe in me alone, but in the one who sent me. Is this what I'm thinking about? Because basically it's saying that if you if you don't believe in Hashem, then obviously you can't believe in the Mashiach. And if you don't believe in the Mashiach, you don't believe in Hashem. So therefore, if you believe in Hashem, you believe in the Mashiach. And if you believe in the Mashiach, you believe in Hashem. Basically. So, I'm going to pick this up here in Yochanan chapter 12, verse 44. Then Yeshua cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me alone, but in the one who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should remain in darkness. As for anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge, though, 
<laughs> for the one who rejects me and does not receive my words, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. I have not spoken on my own, but the father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know that his command leads to eternal life. Because why? If you have the Torah, eternal life has been emplaced in you. That's why we say the closing bracha about he has placed eternal life within us. That comes to the commandments, comes to the Torah, comes to repentance, comes to salvation, comes to covenant. Covenant is Torah. Goes on to say, so I speak exactly what the Father has told me to say. Now I said covenant is Torah. I want to go ahead and source that out for us. Shabbat 33a. It says, And we know that the word covenant refers only to Torah. For it is written elsewhere, If not for my covenant with day and night. Okay. So I did not put the footnote in there. That's unfortunato. Uh, let's see if I can find that. Go to Shabbat 33A. Hook it up, hook it up. All right. What does it say? Yermiyahu, Jeremiah 33:25. In the simple meaning of the verse, God comforts the Jewish people by telling them that his covenant with the Jews is like his covenant with day and night. Just as the cycle of day and night shall never cease, so too shall God never completely forsake the Jewish people. Our Bereta, though, interprets the phrase homiletically. So in other words, pun, here comes the pun. It sees the words day and night as a reference to Torah for a different verse uses the same exact terminology to, to stress that Torah must be studied day and night. Yehoshua, Joshua 1.8. So in other words, our covenant is all the days of our life to be in Torah and this is why we read in Devarim, it is our life and the length of our days. As we pray in the Ma'ariv prayer, right? Let's see here. Sourcing that out. Devarim 30.20 It says, And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov.
so going on over here we have this uh interesting occurrence over here in um chapter 21 where we're going through the valleys of arnon and the the rock our well disappears and it's kind of like where'd you go well this is a long drop from the midrash for ba but it's a beautiful midrash to kind of index our time with because we have to understand that when we're in covenant with Hashem and when we're obedient, we follow His ways. So much is happening for us that we won't even like fathom. We won't see it, and like things are happening, and we're just like, okay, I need to get ready for Shabbat. Okay, I need to, you know, get ready for the Yom Tov. Okay, I need to watch the Aliyah day. Okay, I need to do this. Okay, I need to do that. And while you're like trying to get as many mitzvot as you can get done, trying to do your prayer, reaching out to people and all sorts of stuff. Hashem's like, cool, let me go take out your enemies real quick. So check this out. So it says, the song we sang to the well. This song was sung at the end of the 40 years, and the well was given to us at the beginning of the 40 years. What is the reason then why it's written here? This subject must be expounded by a reference to what precedes it which is, wherefore it is said in the book of wars of God, Vahev is Sufa in the valleys of Arnon. This implies that God wrought for them signs and miracles in the valleys of Arnon, like the miracles that he had wrought for them at the Yom Suf. So this is tantamount to what Hashem did for us at the Yom Suf, what's going on here in the valleys of Arnon. It's important to note this is the second generation and we are going towards the promised land. So we're going to have a Yom Suf experience. And then even when we get to the Jordan, we're going to have another Yom Suf experience because Hashem is going to part the, the Jordan. So we're like salvation on salvation on salvation on salvation. But while we're doing just trusting in Hashem and Hashem's like, cool, let me do some stuff for you. It goes on to say... What was the nature of the miracles in the valleys of Arnon? A man could stand on the top of one mountain and speak to his neighbor on the top of the other mountain. Yet, he would be seven miles away from him. So the acoustics were amazing. For the road ran down into the valley and descended. Israel, on their way, had to pass through the midst of that valley. All the nations, say all, all the nations, i.e. a lot of people, assembled at that spot, armies without end. Some of them took up positions within the valley. The cliffs above them were riddled with caves. Opposite these caves and the mountain facing the other mountain were numerous rocky projections that resembled breasts. The armies entered into the caves thinking when Israel come down in the valley, those who are in the valley will confront them and those who are above will harass them from the caves. And so we shall slay them all. It's like booby trap here. Like uh, we're just going to take them down. This is a this is a trap. It says when, however, 
Israel reached that spot, God did not make it necessary for them to descend to the bottom of the valley. Just like he did with the Yom Suf, we didn't have to descend into it. He raised up dry ground for us. Just like the dry ground raised up out of the waters and the creation story. We say this in our morning blessing. Blessed is he who spreads out the earth over the waters. So Hashem did that with land and mountains. He said he raised that up for us. And then it goes on to say. He signaled to the mountains and the projections of the opposite mountain. And it entered into the caves and all the occupants were killed. Furthermore, the mountains brought their heads close to each other and they formed a level road. And it was impossible to tell one mountain from the next. The valley was the boundary between the land of Israel and the land of Moab, as it says, for Arnon is the boundary of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. The mountain in the land of Moab in which the caves were did not move. While the mountain from the land of Israel in which were the rocky projections resembling breasts moved to join the opposite mountain. Why was it this one that moved? Because it belonged to the land of Israel and may be compared to a case of a handmaid who on seeing her master's son coming to her advanced quickly to meet him and welcome him. Kind of like the way the, the father welcomed home the prodigal son. He ran out to him. And it says, the rocky projections entered into the caves and crushed all the warriors in them. The well descended into the valley, and there it swelled and destroyed all the enemies in the same manner as the Yom Suf had destroyed the armies of Egypt. For this reason, the Vehev and Sufa in the valleys of Arnon are placed side by side for comparison. Yisrael passed along the top of those mountains and did not know, say did not know, did not know of all the miracles. Said the Holy One, blessed be he, I will let my children know how many armies I destroyed on their account. The well descended into the caves, washed out skulls, arms, and legs innumerable. Israel returned in search of the well, and they saw it coming from the valley full of Carrying limbs upon limbs, Israel saw and they sang. Rashi also brings this Midrash down as well. So Baruch Hashem, thank you Hashem for fighting our battles. And may we all experience being delivered from death and set free from sin. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vekaye Olam Natabetokeinu Baruch atah Adonai, notein ha-Torah.